Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We just want to keep you guys up on the literature, and to do that, we are willing to spoon-feed it to you. Now, let's take a quick look at everything that we'll be covering. How low is too low a temperature for infants, and when is it sepsis? After that, how about at a well-child scheduled visit? Is hypothermia important then? And then radiologists are your colleagues. If you give the information they need, then they perform better. Simple as that. And then let's go back to the basics and talk about reading a chest x-ray. And finally, here's a little bit about helping you spot testicular torsion in patients under 18 years old. If you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only a portion of the past week's summaries. Don't worry, of course, they're all good articles, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org, and remember that we never want money to be a barrier to patient care. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, please get in touch and we'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Gabby Leonard, Joshua Campbell, Amanda Matthews, Graham Van Shake, and Clay Smith. Okay, without further ado, I bring you the first article titled Temperature Threshold in the Screening of Bacterial Infections in Infants with Hypothermia, out of the Journal of Emergency Medicine. Now, finding a fever in an infant puts a little bit of a chill in any physician's bones. But what if that chill is actually in the infant's bones? And it's not at all a fever, it's just a low temperature. Hypothermia in infants. Now, serious bacterial infections such as UTIs, bacteremia, and meningitis all present normally with fever. And the same goes for invasive bacterial infections. When I say invasive, I just mean meningitis and bacteremia. But all of these infections should be considered with hypothermic infants as well. Now, the trouble with this, it's confusing because we know that, you know, the management of fevers has become quite protocolized. We know that fever, no matter the degree, is essentially equivalent. Now, for hypothermia, though, babies easily, I mean, they just get cold from exposure to the environment. What's a good cutoff for hypothermia for starting down the infectious workup in an infant? This study was a cross-sectional evaluation of 3,000 infants aiming to statistically derive a clear temperature threshold that would indicate a serious bacterial infection or an invasive bacterial infection. Now, it was done on infants less than 90 days old with a temperature at least less than 36.4 degrees Celsius to qualify as hypothermic. In this cohort, 1.8% of the hypothermic infants had a serious bacterial infection, and 0.5% had an invasive bacterial infection. As you can tell from the difference there, the majority of these infections were UTIs, which in this case were caused by E. coli. For infants with serious bacterial infections, the median was 35.8 degrees Celsius, and for invasive bacterial infections, it was 35.4 degrees Celsius, which was statistically different from the other children. Now, unfortunately, there was just, it was just too much of a range for these authors to make a threshold that would have provided enough sensitivity and specificity to be useful. Now, I think not being able to find a nice threshold here is because we're asking too much of hypothermia. There are just too many factors that go into it to have it predict illness very reliably on its own. That doesn't mean you should ignore it, but that you need to incorporate it into the larger picture. It's just going to be one data point. 
Glad that they did this study, though, or else, you know, we, we just can't be certain. In a spoonful, while serious and invasive bacterial infections in infants may contribute to hypothermia, there is no definitive threshold that predicts infection. And then we're going to skip over to the fourth article. Titled, Importance of Communication of CT Indication for Imaging Yield in Patients with Gastrointestinal Bleeding out of the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. Now, not all of your GI bleed patients will get a CT, and many of them don't need one either. But if you're going to get one, then you'd want it to be the best test it could be, wouldn't you? These scans can help to identify culprit lesions, and that's pretty good. But you know that little box that you put clinical information in when you order a scan? Does that really matter? Is that something super important we should focus on? Could it change the results of your scan if you indicated that you were looking specifically for a GI bleed? Here I have for you an observational cohort study of adult emergency department patients from a single academic center over a two-year period who were included because they had the ICD-10 code for GI bleeds. The CT reports were reviewed to see what indications were recorded, the exam types done, and the findings of those CTs. The CT scans were considered positive if the CT identified active bleeding, recent bleeding, or a suspected etiology for the GI bleed. Now, they had 943 patients over this period of two years who were diagnosed with GI bleeds. 33% of them, or 312 patients, had CT scans ordered. In this emergency department, the CT protocols were determined by the radiologist based on the indication listed for the scan. 64% of these patients had a CT with a single portal venous phase, and 29% had a multiphase scan. They found that patients who had a GI bleed listed in the indication were significantly more likely to get a multiphase scan, like five times more likely. And along with this, those who had multi-phase scans were much more likely to identify a source of the GI bleed, like an odds ratio of 15 more likely. That's a lot. So guys, imagine not being given all the tools that you need to perform at your best. It would suck, wouldn't it? Don't do it to your friends. Don't do it to radiologists. In this one, think out loud, or better yet, Think into the indication box for your radiology requisitions. It could make the difference about which scan the patient actually gets, which in turn could change your diagnostic yield. Okay, that's it. That's all our articles for this week. Let's do a quick wrap up. Now from the first article, you shouldn't ignore hypothermia in an infant who otherwise appears sick. It may be a clue that this infant has an infection, but there is no distinct threshold beyond which you can be you know, certain that they need a workup. After that, from the fourth article, we were highlighting the importance of being clear with radiologists about why you're ordering a test. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org. And remember that the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Now, if you're feeling a little bit like you're missing out, you'd like to hear more podcasts, then come over and join us in the members feed. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and then save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.